Thank you very much and welcome everyone to uh, Road to the Oval Office. We are 47 days away from the presidential election. Uh, there are moments um, that I think we are uh, one day away and there are moments where it feels like we are six months away, but uh, grateful to have everyone with us. My name is Blake Rutherford. I'm joined as always by Mark Alderman, the CEO of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies and Howard Schweitzer, the managing partner of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies. Howard, Mark, great to be with you guys. Thanks, Blake. Here we are, 47 days, and as we say, every time we get together, just never a dull moment in this presidential race, but I will go ahead and take a moderator's privilege and say, Mark, I'm a little bit exhausted by this race. It seems <laughs> like it's been going on for years, Blake. Um, I want to start, guys, with kind of just a state of play, where you think this race really is. We've got a lot of data to talk about. I want to get into the electoral map a little bit. Um, certainly, we've got early voting that's actually actually begun. I want, to, I want to get to all that. But before we do, Mark, I, I want to begin with you. Um, what's happening out there? Tell me, tell me what's going on. How do I make sense of, of, of what is going on with these two campaigns? What's going on is that if the election were held tomorrow, which regrettably it's not, she would win the popular vote by a point, maybe two, and she would win the Electoral College by 10, maybe 20 votes, but she would be the next president in a very close election, and that's what's going on. This thing has gotten very close, and it's going to stay very close because most fundamentally, a majority of the people who say they're going to show up to vote on November 8 are voting against somebody, not for somebody. It's That's always, the dynamic. It's always been close. I mean, I think, of course, you know, we've had an ebb and a flow, but it, it's always been close. And Howard, I mean... It, has always been close and it was always going to be close because the nation is divided and and to that regard i mean campaigns and, and you guys have seen a lot of them i mean campaigns always say this is going to be a close election this is going to be a close election but you know i i hearken back to sort of the the evolution of of this race and at one point this didn't appear like it was going to be a close election it did not appear that donald trump would perform well outside of traditionally red states. And yet, Howard, we now have a lot of states in play. Because states that are now polling within the margin of error, that are trending towards Trump. What do you make of all that? How do we, how do we sort of attach you know, a cause to that effect? Well, the electorate is divided, but I think divided in a different way. And, and that's, I think, the fundamental point here. Okay. It's not... Obviously, it's not traditional Republicans against traditional Democrats. I mean, it may be you may you may have the traditional Democrat piece of the equation, but this isn't your grandfather's Republican Party. It's not even George H. W. Bush's Republican Party since he said he's voting for Hillary Clinton. <laughs> I mean, this is not ours versus these. This has been set up by Trump, love him or hate him, as that haves versus have-nots. And I don't think that the media or the pundits or the pollsters or anybody 
really knows how to size up the electorate from that perspective. And that's why, yeah, it was always going to be close, Mark, but in a, in a very different way than we've seen um, recently. And Mark, I want to ever. I want to. I want to. I want to sort of build upon that because we're one of the things that we've talked about is where this race is really going to be decided from the context of the voter. And we, we, you know, we're now hearing more and more that you know, be careful. Our, our friend Nate Silver at five thirty-eight saying, "Watch out! This really could be our Brexit." Um, you know, sort of. Reflecting on, on, on what Howard just said, I mean, where, who's the undecided voter? That's what I'm the most curious about. Well, two things, Blake. I think that there are still actually some undecided voters out there. I think if you drill down in the numbers, it's maybe 10%, maybe not even, because you have a double-digit third-party vote that shows up again and again in all of these polls. So when you get done giving him his 40, 42%, you get done giving her her 42, 44%, you give Johnson 8 to 10 and yeah. Jill Stein a couple of points, you've got under 10% undecided. But, but I would submit, just as Howard said, we're divided, but in a different way. I think it is a different undecided than it has been in the past. Four years ago, there were people who up until election day were deciding between Governor Romney and President Obama. There are not people deciding between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. They are deciding whether to vote at all. Exactly. And if so, whether to vote for her or Gary Johnson or vote for him or Gary Johnson. So more the former, more the former. It is a smaller number than ever before. And it is more a decision about whether to even show up, which makes this just a different kind of election than the last couple we've seen. And, and so how do the campaigns sort of adjust for that? Because we, we've talked a lot about the, the mechanics of this. I mean, we hear, you know, is this going to be the election that, you know, demonstrates that you don't need a field operation because you've got an active, a very active Twitter account. Trump is basically spending no money on television right now, which is wild if you think about how elections are normally won. Contrast that with Hillary Clinton coming out last month raising more than a hundred million dollars and 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 I think and spending it and attempting to raise another hundred million I think before before election day. Um, how do the, Howard how do the campaigns you know really deal with this unique undecided pool? What what do they do or what do they not do in order to to get those people where they need to go. I mean, I think this is where the the data. This is this is where the analytics people are going to earn their money. Just like um, Obama in in particularly in 2012, but in 2008 also kind of perfected the art of micro targeting. Mm -hmm. That's what Hillary's going to do. That's why she's going to win at the end of the day. And it's messaging. They've got to message to very, very specific demographics. And I think it, the debate for her is, is half about that. 
it's a platform for messaging out to pull people out to vote because the the polling shows that people that are undecided are, are more likely to vote for her than they are for him. People that are absolutely going to vote are more likely to vote for him than they are for her. So it is absolutely critical to her campaign to pull those people out. And the only way to do it is by knocking on doors, figuratively or literally, and messaging. Right. It, it, it is two things. It is persuasion and it is turnout. The persuasion piece, I believe, is she needs to give those undecided voters, it's under 10% in under 10 states. We've been through that math before. Right. It's a couple million people. She needs to give them a reason to vote for her. She has spent hundreds of millions of dollars giving everybody in America who was gonna pay attention a reason not to vote for Donald Trump. But that doesn't get anyone to the polls. She has to give those people who haven't made up their mind whether to vote a reason to vote for her, and then she has to turn them out. And and really, that you know this good and well, because I want to I want to sort of give everybody listening in sort of a real world example of what we mean by that. So let's talk about Philadelphia, which we know is critical to to the outcome in Pennsylvania, which we know is critical to to both campaigns. Um, you know, Trump has has no voter turnout operation that 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 we we can see. You no. you you know very well. Hillary has an enormous voter turnout operation, and what I mean by that is she has field offices, she has staff, she has volunteers, she has um, all the mechanical things that you need to do. What Howard just said to literally knock on doors to drive people to the polls, to turn them out to vote. And in Philadelphia, that's essential. Um, but I, I, wanna, I wanna sort of get specific here be, and, and reflect a little bit on what you saw from, from Obama's two races versus what you're seeing now. And sort of what's your sense of what's going on in Philadelphia from a turnout perspective? I think what's going on in Philadelphia from a turnout perspective is actually exactly what it was four years ago and eight years ago in this respect. It is about Barack and Michelle Obama. The president was in Philadelphia, the first lady was in Philadelphia, they will both be back. And the turnout operation, while it is deeply staffed and deeply organized, is going to be as dependent on the president and the first lady turning out the vote as anything else. They did it in 2008. They did it in 2012. I think they are going to do it again. But this time around, as we were saying a minute ago, it isn't persuading anybody. It isn't convincing anybody. Nobody listening to Barack right. Obama is <clears throat> deciding Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton, I can't make up my mind. Anybody who is listening is deciding, do I even show up? And he is telling them, as he did last week in an address, that it'll be a personal insult to him if they don't. <laughs> Howard, what do you what do you make of that? You know, we it's 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 very interesting in politics. I always have I always have the theory that endorsements really rarely, if at all, matter. We. We can laugh all day about the value of newspaper endorsements anymore. The sort of cachet that comes with with endorsements, I think, I think has diminished over time. But the president is an articulate voice, both for 
Secretary Clinton and for the eight years that, that he's led the country. Sort of in contrast to Mark, what, what weight do you give the president's involvement here? Is it, is it as significant as Mark thinks it is? Um, I think it's significant, but in, in certain, very, in very specific places, and I think people overstate I mean, Pennsylvania, which obviously we're very familiar with, is, is one thing. Florida is another, right. where um, you have many voters um, that are residents of Florida now that weren't, uh, you know, when he was president, um, when Bill Clinton was president, and um, that I don't think are going to be compelled to vote because Barack Obama says, uh, go vote. So um, I think it's, uh, I think it's, but but you've got to you got to get the vote out. You got to get the vote out, and they're Barack Obama, Joe Biden, Michelle Obama, Elizabeth Warren. They are powerful surrogates for this candidate. At the end of the day, though, Mark, she has to do what you said, which is she has to have a message. She has to compel people to vote. She has to give people a reason to vote for her. But the president's endorsement is a different kind of endorsement, I believe, in this sense. And it's a difference yeah. that makes a difference. It's not George Clooney endorsing Hillary Clinton. The president's endorsement is asking for a third term. She is running for a third Obama administration. And the president is uniquely positioned to ask people for that third term. And that's why I think he, even more so than an Elizabeth Warren, who has been a fierce advocate for Secretary Clinton, he and the First Lady and, and Joe Biden are, I think, uniquely positioned to make her case for her, but, but she's got to make it too. They, they right. can't drag her over the line. They got to all walk together over that line. And, and Mark, in, in terms of message, I mean, I mean, what are the kinds of things, what closes the, the sale for her in terms of messaging? I mean, certainly she was in Philadelphia talking about college and trying to speak to millennials. We've seen speeches on substantive policy matters. But I think one thing that she has been criticized for, rightly or not, you want, I want you both to reflect on this, is the lack of a theme. What is, what does it, what is a Clinton presidency really about? We can talk substance all day long and you can go to her website and read really policy proposal after policy proposal. You know where she stands on things. You know what she would try to achieve, but there seems to be, her critics would say, a lack of that real, that thematic, which is so important in presidential races. What are your thoughts about that? Well, I think she doesn't have a slogan like Trump does. Mm -hmm. And it's unfortunate, but that matters and that moves the needle. He has a slogan that's on the stupid hats that he wears. She isn't going to put a slogan on a hat and get this done. I think what she needs to do because it is actually true, Blake, you know her, I know her, we, we know this to be true. She needs to tell people that she actually cares about them and that she actually cares about doing something for them and that she is running for president 
not to be famous and not to be rich and not to put it on her resume and write a book. She is running for president because she cares and she wants to help. And that is her challenge. It is in fact true of this woman, but wow, is she having a hard time saying that. Because every day she takes out a gun and shoots herself in the damn foot. <laughs> I mean, come on, Mark. It's like nobody trusts her and no one should have a reason to, to trust her. I mean, she's, she's put herself in the position she's in. It's not that she's a bad candidate. It's that she has not um, projected trust. She has not engendered trust. Um, well, and I think one of the things she has to do is um, talk about trusting her to the electorate as a whole. Right. And then, look, I think the president's job is to get out. President and Michelle Obama have to drive the African-American turnout. Um, I think Trump himself will drive the Hispanic turnout. And she is going to be, if she's elected, the first woman president of the United States. She has to go back to that. And she has to focus on that and speak to suburban women who I think most people feel at the end of the day are going to decide this election. She has to talk about things like um, cho like choice. And I, by the way, what's happened to the Supreme Court nominee? No one says anything about that. That's that's coming back. Right. Um, abortion. Um, you know, issues that women care about. She is running to be the first, she's running to be president of the United States, but she's very much running to be the first woman to be the president of the United States. And that is what she has to emphasize. Well, and talking about issues that women and men care about, like reproductive rights, like the Supreme Court, I completely agree is what she needs to do. She has to give people a reason to vote for her. Talking about becoming the first woman president is a bad idea. Oh. I don't think you were suggesting no, it wasn't. that she, she has to do that in code. Totally. Totally. Not elect me because I'm a woman. Right. Show that she cares about that, things that right. women and obviously <laughs> other people like us care about. Um, and, and speak to them from that, per, from a more of a policy perspective. And for anybody listening in, certainly comments, questions, um, presidential analysis at cozen.com. Uh, would love to hear from you. So I, I want to talk about the map because I'm as we as we are as we are looking at this. The map is um, the, yeah, right, Mark. As you say, as you say, this is about about certain states, and and the map the map is the friend friend to the Democrats and. Today that would be right, but I want to get a little—I want to get a little—a little wonky um, because this is going to set us up to to talk about the ramifications of the debate on Monday. Because I think these numbers are so close that that moment—we we are coming upon a moment that has been my prediction. So let's set the stage. Let's look at the map right now. We've got it where I think Hillary Clinton's going to 
capture the blue states, Donald Trump's going to capture the red states. That puts her at about a starting point of about 200 electoral votes, if my math is right. Let me just interrupt you for one second, if I may, to say, yes, this is an election like nothing we've ever seen. However, however, 40 of the states or more are going to go the same way they've been going. So notwithstanding everything being unlike anything ever before, 80% of the country is locked down. Right. And so so you look so at... Got 10 states. Right. So you've got... Yep. The states we care, we care a lot about right now in terms of people. Because I get this question all the time. Like, what should I really be paying attention to? We care about Ohio. We care about Florida. We care about... Colorado and Iowa and Nevada, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, New Hampshire, and Virginia. She's got more ways to win it than he does. She's going to win Pennsylvania. She is going to win Virginia. And then she has to pick off two of four states, New Hampshire, Iowa, Nevada, and Colorado. She's going to win Colorado. And when she wins New Hampshire, she'll be the president. Trump has to do all kinds of gymnastics (laughs) to get to the same place, but it's, it's, it's close and it is a discussion we weren't having four years ago, for example, that New Hampshire is going to decide the presidency. Well, that's, that's right. That's where I'm going because, because if you, if we sort of separate all this out and you look at, let's, let's assume for the purposes of argument that, that Trump takes Ohio. He certainly can't win without, he can't win without Ohio. She can. Uh, he can't win without Florida. She well, that, can. If I may just back up a state. First, he has to take North Carolina. Right. That's, that's where I was going. So, the, I mean, he's got to... that's the Romney. Right. That's exactly right. He's, he's got to take North Carolina. He's got to take Ohio. He's got to take Florida. Right. This, this gets really interesting because her path can then run through, as you said, so many states. She, she would have to... She's ahead in Michigan. She's ahead in Wisconsin. She's ahead in Pennsylvania. Um, but if some things break his way, Mark, if he takes Nevada... If he takes North Carolina, if he picks up one electoral vote in Maine, which is, is an interesting opportunity, and he, and he does take Florida, he could find his way to 266 electoral votes, setting the stage for the all-important four votes in New Hampshire. So it all began in New Hampshire. It all began in New Hampshire. You and I trudging through the snow. We're going to be back in that bar, <laughs> get the yeah. It was a local beer. Yeah. And New Hampshire could very well pick the president. Why wasn't I invited? You were working for Yeah. Me. <laughs> <laughs> and I were pursuing our hobby. Yeah, it and it's and it's really funny because because I looking at these numbers, you know, if she takes Colorado, Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, um, Virginia, that still only gets her to 268 again, setting the stage for New Hampshire being the race. You know, I gave up, I gave, uh, I did an interview and we were talking about, talking about this, I did this with the Boston Globe, and I said, you know, Pennsylvania really seems to be her, her firewall. But I, I wonder if, if all of our attention eventually, if Trump is able to slide North Carolina over to his column, and the trend's looking better for him there. Um, whether we will we will focus on where it all where it all began, and we'll be we'll be talking about talking about New Hampshire. Howard, these numbers are so close, and they 
they, there's so much ebb and flow that yeah. I tend to think, you can tell me if you agree, I tend to think that this debate on Monday has the potential to really shake this race up if there is a moment in the debate that, that allows for that to happen. We have been talking about this debate in some form or fashion for, for many, many weeks now. Let's just start with expectations. What do you expect to see at this debate? Well, can I first go back and say I'm, I'm just not into the I'm not into the electoral college math at this point. I get that um, it's a game that everybody plays. I get that it's the way that this election is going to be decided. I get that things have to be um, looked at from that perspective. You've got to pick off states, and ultimately it comes down to that. But I think to the point about the debate or the question about the debate, we're, we're still 47 days away. And I think momentum national momentum matters much more at this point than anything else. Okay, that's interesting, Mark. I want to I want to bring you in on this well, because but I want to come back to the debate, but let's talk about this issue of momentum because we look at national polls and people say they're meaningless, but it seems to me they are relevant in that context. I want to get your thoughts. Well, yes and no. Momentum of course matters, and the momentum has been everywhere in this cycle down and sideways for both of them. But the reason just to defend uh, Blake's obsession in mind with the electoral <laughs> college is forget for a moment that that's how the president actually gets elected. Decisions are being made every hour about where to deploy resources, where to send the candidates, where to send yeah, money. Right. And those decisions are being driven by the data in, in the electoral college states. So it, they are relevant to the campaigning much more than they are at this point to, to some ultimate analysis of the outcome. The momentum, who, who has the momentum? Clearly, she had August. She won August. If we could have held the damn election before August was over, we wouldn't be doing this call. We'd be doing a different call. Clearly, she had the worst post-Labor Day week of any presidential candidate in either party in history, or at least in recorded history, and Trump had all Look. the momentum. Where is it today? I think it has stabilized with her a little bit ahead, and I couldn't agree more, Howard. Mon Monday night is going to move it again. Here's the... Um Here's the debate from my point of view. Trump's entire campaign premise is that the system is rigged. And by the way... Are you going to tell us the system is rigged? <laughs> um, but that's his premise. And it sells. It's selling. It's attracting votes. It's attracting votes from places that a quote-unquote Republican wouldn't ordinarily attract votes. And I think, as I said earlier, you know, all the, the establishment Republicans coming out and saying they're going to vote for her only helps him because it perpetuates the narrative that the system is rigged, whether you have a Republican or a Democrat in the White House. So what I expect 
from him in in the first debate is it's all about the system being rigged. He's going to come at her from the left on the banks and on war from the perspective of Iraq. And he is going to try to further the narrative that the system is rigged. I think from her point of view, she has to try to do two things. Number one, she has to try to speak to those very specific, she has to try to speak to suburban women, period, and African-Americans. Um, forget about Trump. He's a rel- I mean, pretend he's not even there. Speak to those demographics. And then she has got to get under his skin. And you can be sure that they have an army of psychologists um, that have been working day and night to figure out, I mean, it's obviously doable, but to figure out how to expose him. And I think the way to do it, the way she's going to try to do it, his Achilles heel is his success. And she's going to try to undercut the notion that he is a, he's a success. And so to me, it's those four points for him. It's the system is rigged coming at her from the left mm-hmm. for her speaking irrespective of him to some specific demographics and undercutting his success. Mark, what are your thoughts about, about tactics for the debate? Well, I think, I think that Trump has the, the better path through this debate. We talked about an electoral college path. He has the better path through this debate. The expectations for him are simply lower. They are higher for her, lower for him. Double standard, yes, gender, I doubt it, but but he has to do less than she does, and that's an advantage. The way this thing has worked, this thing being this election, whoever is in the news loses points. When he's in the news, he loses points. <laughs> when she's in the news, she loses points. There are three people who can be in the news the next day. Donald Trump, Hillary Clinton, and Lester Holt. If Lester Holt is in the news the next day, Trump won the debate. If Hillary Clinton's in the news the next day, Trump won the debate. If Trump's in the news the next day, then she did. It is unfortunate, but that's that's this election. You want to stay out of the news because nothing good happens when you're in. I've heard you say many times Hillary Clinton should just go on an extended vacation and she's, she's better off. Trump debate Lester. <laughs> so, Howard, you. But, but don't underestimate the moderate. Yeah, that's, and, and that's what I wanted, I wanted to talk a little bit about that because, because this has been a cycle where the moderator has mattered. We have seen Megyn Kelly enter the news uh, after moderating a debate. We saw what happened with Matt Lauer um, and the challenges of, of the, the town hall that wasn't a debate, but um, where both candidates did appear on the, at the same place on the same night, but not together. Um, this is an interesting moment for Lester Holt because he is he is first. This is the he's the first guy to step in and and moderate between these two candidates, and it's just going to be two of them. No one else is gonna is going to be on the stage. Gary Gary Johnson um, just didn't 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 get there. <laughs> he didn't make the cut. Um, and and he ha- he's going to have some choices to make. I mean, one of the criticisms 
of, of Matt Lauer's performance was that he didn't hold Trump accountable when he made clear misrepresentations of fact, and he didn't press him on issues. What, what do you, I want to just follow up a little bit on the point of the moderator and, and what you expect to see there, Mark. It's a question of whether he is going to call him a liar or not. Take Howard's point, which I, I think is right, that Trump is going to talk about being against the Iraq war and the disaster that Hillary Clinton created by voting for it. Is Lester Holt going to say that's not true? That's not true. You weren't against the Iraq war. You were for it before you were against <laughs> it. That's not true. There has been a reluctance to call him a liar because the media has feared that that was an opinion, not reporting. But I couldn't disagree more when someone says something that's not true. It is journalism and reporting to say, I'm sorry, that's, that's not Hillary's true. job. That's Hillary's well, job. Well, all right, Howard, no, that's... No, I disagree with that. It is, of course, her job, and she's, of course, going to say it, but it is the job of the moderator, I believe, also, exactly as Candy Crowley did with Mitt Romney when he kept saying, and the president wouldn't call Benghazi a terrorist attack, and the president said, keep going, and Candy Crowley said, yes, he did. And Lester Holt needs a yes, he did moment because that's truth and that's fair. Life isn't fair. The debate's not about truth. I don't know how to hold out a lot of optimism. And that's why I say if Lester Holt is in the news the next day, it was a bad debate for Hillary. Mark, you may remember Candy Crowley calling out Mitt Romney or whatever, but the guy in Iowa that's sitting on his couch, the woman in Ohio that's sitting on her couch thinking about whether or not the vote could care less. They care about what Trump and Clinton have to say to one another. I think Lester Holt should set the stage and disappear and come back and reset the stage and disappear and let these two go at it. It's well, supposed I, to be I, a I disagree. First of all, yeah. the guy in Ohio and the woman in Iowa, or maybe you had it the other way around, are already voting for Trump. So they aren't paying any attention to any You just said those anyway. are the people that are going to decide the election. Well, no, he's going to win well, Ohio and Iowa. Oh, okay, so got the it. People in New Hampshire. All right, fine. <laughs> fine. And I don't. That is not my. That is not my view of what the moderator of this debate has an obligation to do. And the and it's moderator of the debate. They why not just they both lie. Well, well, let's. And he should call out both. And the media has had no trouble calling her out on her. This list. isn't about. This isn't about lying or not lying. Everybody knows they're both lying. There is no moral equivalence between the lying of Donald Trump and the lying of Hillary Clinton. And what has happened in the coverage of this campaign is that she's called out on her far too many misrepresentations. And he isn't on stuff he if, makes up. Muslims on rooftops in New Jersey if, celebrating the collapse of the World Trade Counter, World Trade uh, Center. Who? Yeah, when he says that at the debate, you don't think Lester Holt should say it, but that's not true. <laughs> Maybe on that. Um, oh, but how many more examples? <laughs> <do you> want? <laughs> but look, no, I think she. If this debate turns into a who's the bigger dirtbag? question she loses she loses 
Well, she loses because she has to give people a reason to vote for her. She's done all the damage. She loses yeah. because she's the incumbent. She loses because she's That's been fair. here for 30 years. She loses because she's the embodiment of the system. But it doesn't it's the easiest thing in the world for him to sit wait, wait. as Mr. Outsider and throw rocks and say the system is rigged. And you're part of the system, and I know how to beat the system. And you little guy should vote for me because I know how to beat the system. But a lot of people who are deciding whether to vote or not, who would vote for Hillary if they voted, are sitting there wondering, are they really just both the same? And do I even bother getting out of bed that day? And I completely disagree that there is any equivalence between the lying of Trump and the misrepresentations of Clinton. And I think it is the obligation of the moderator of this debate to call both of them out. And because okay. he is going to be doing a lot more of it than she is, it could move a vote. So let's let's talk about the ramifications <laughs> of... Right. All right. So that's where I wanted or to not. go, right? Or not, right? So... so I, the, I have I have continually said we'll see we'll see if I'm I'm right or not that this is the 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 television audience for this debate is going to be unlike anything we've seen for a for a pres presidential debate um, uh, to sort of kind of round it all up the we Giants know they're definitely referring definitely referring to that one well I, not that one those two <laughs> but yeah. it it. Um, so we and know, we know there, are, both there are going to be a lot of eyeballs on, on television screens, Twitter streaming this live. ESPN expects a 30% drop in viewership for Monday Night Football because of, because of this debate, which is significant when you consider the role that football plays in, in daily life. But we, of, that, of that segment, we certainly anticipate that the undecideds will presumably tune in. What do you think the outcome is I mean, does is this debate? It is significant because all presidential debates are significant. It's significant because there is an opportunity for one candidate to do something either very well or very poorly. Right? the 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 risk factor is high. But beyond that, what do you think happens after this first debate? What 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 can we expect to see the next morning and in the days following? Um, after this debate, Howard, do you think? I think building on she's going to build on the her messaging to those specific demographics I referenced earlier. She's going to build on her messaging about his lack of about undercutting his success, and he's going to build on his messaging about the system being rigged. I mean, my my I think this debate. I think he's going to win the debate because at the end of the day, it's going to be a draw and. The draw goes to the challenger in this mm -hmm. case. Yeah, Mark, what do you what do you think we see in the twenty four? Is so low. I expect Trump to clear it. I think that the race tightens a little bit further. I think she's still ahead, but less ahead than she is going into it. And then I think the second debate is actually in a lot of ways as interesting and maybe more consequential because I believe that the bar goes up for Trump at the second debate and I'm not sure he can get over it the second time. 
Once he has cleared the very low bar of not falling off the stage, which is pretty much where it's been said so far, I think it gets ratcheted up before the second debate, and I think she has a better opportunity at the second debate than the first. Traditionally, and, and I agree with Howard, she's the incumbent, he's the challenger. The incumbent loses the first debate. Obama did and, uh, and Bush did and others have. So not, I, I don't see the days after the first debate being all that happy for the Clinton campaign. She, she wins if this is actually a debate. But it's not actually going to be a well, debate. So a friend of mine told me it's not high school. Exactly. I set you up for that. <laughs> Believe me. Yeah. Um, so, but somebody should tell Trump it's not high school. Let's see him bring a college-level debate. You think he can do that? I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> well, it'll, it'll be interesting. So if it's um, not high school, it's not college, it's junior high? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's kindergarten. But, um. Here we go. All right. Um, well, well, look. I, 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 for those of us that are that that are, are political junkies, Monday night will be will will be just about everything until. Yeah, I have no idea. I the Falcons and the Saints. Oh, the Falcons and the Saints. All right. So yeah, no, nobody's watching that game. Um, what what for just. You know, moderator's privilege here. What 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 do we not talk about today that we, that, that we should have talked about, Howard? Gosh, um, I think I think uh, more about about trust and how Hillary recaptures enough trust to um, to carry the day. Um, look, that's her Achilles' heel. Nobody doubts that she is. That she has the experience and competence to to be president of the United States, and I think Barack Obama means it when he said nobody's been more qualified—not Bill Clinton, not Barack Obama. Um, but people don't trust her, and I think there are things she can do. Uh, she's not going to change, but there are things she can do to convey to the nation that she's going to govern that she's going to govern in a way that people can trust her that people can trust her administration and that if she convinces people she'll govern that way people are more likely to vote for her and i think i think i just think it's a huge point yeah i i mean clearly polling would would indicate i mean that that she that deficiency is is having an effect. Mark, what do we not talk about today that we should have talked about? Current events. I think that current events are gonna shape this thing for the next 48 days, 47 days. You have bombs going off in New York. You think, well, maybe that cuts Trump's way, although then Trump handles it as only he can. So maybe that swings it back. You have cops killing unarmed black men with their hands up. Where does that go? Things are going to keep happening in the country and the world, and they are going to influence this election. They're going to influence those undecided voters in deciding whether to vote and, and which way. And you, you tell me what's going to be happening in October, and 
I'll have a better idea of whether <laughs> she can win New Hampshire. <laughs> All roads lead back to New Hampshire. Well, guys, look, it's been it's been fun as always. Thanks to everybody who uh, called in and listened in. If uh, comments, criticisms, um, always welcome. Um, certainly, uh, you can reach us at presidential analysis at Cozen.com. We've got another call, post-debate call, uh, next Tuesday at noon. So we'll see um, if our if our preview and predictions uh, came true. And uh, if not, hopefully nobody remembered them <laughs> in the first place. So thanks again to everybody. Always great to be with you, Mark and Howard. Um, and uh, look forward to talking next week. So thanks, everybody. Thanks, Blake.